the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Uh, welcome once again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, always glad to hook up with you, and so is Alan Dempsey our engineer, and Andrew Herdliska, the producer of this show each weekend. Uh, Mark Stengler, Jr. joins us from Lynchburg, Virginia, Liberty University, president of Please Tell Me the Truth Ministries. Uh, but we're going to talk about his new book called Cult Shock. Oh, what a read this is. And uh, Mark, it's wonderful to catch up with you. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you so much. Great to be with you. What prompted you to write this book, Mark? Why was it important? Well, my father and I were engaged with street evangelism, and we ran into the Mormons and, excuse me, Jehovah's Witnesses quite a bit. And we realized that Christians often did not engage with these groups as they should, and that these groups were propagating a false gospel. And we saw a need in the body of Christ. And we'd engaged with these cults so many times and knew what verses they would use, what techniques they would use, that we decided to come up with a book to help the body of Christ respond to these accusations and pro- proclaim the true Jesus and the true gospel to them. Mark Stengler, Jr., he's our guest. He's a student uh, majoring in biblical studies and biblical languages. Uh, by age 17, Mark could witness effectively to the most seasoned Jehovah's Witnesses, and Latter-day Saints. He's already founded and is the president of Tell Me the Truth Ministries, uh, which helps equip Christians with resources to defend their faith and evangelize effectively. Mark, by the way, how old are you now? I'm 19. Almost 20. Oh, boy. Well, I, I'm just honored to talk to you. I, I think your dad uh, is, is uh, very, very proud of you, I would think. Uh, he's oh, absolutely. It's a blessing. <laughs> sounds like sounds like he's had a big influence on your life. Yes, he he definitely trained me in how to begin to witness to these cults. Um, because he had a lot more experience than I did. And when I encountered these groups on the street, or I saw them at a stand or at a, on their bikes uh, doing missionary work, I would encounter them because I'd seen um, in part the boldness that he had. And I said, hey, you know what, God is with him, and he's with me too, and he's with all of us when we proclaim his gospel to the cults or any other religion. Uh, there are nine chapters in your book. You open uh, with this topic, The Real Jesus Matters. That's how you open your book. Uh, what are you telling us there as you begin to write? Well, as you know, Pat, we live in a society today where truth really doesn't matter to many people. Uh, it's People more just want to say their opinions, and many people actually believe in Jesus, if you ask them, even in America. Uh, unfortunately, the Jesus they believe in often is not the Jesus of Scripture, it may be a good teacher, a moral man, and in the case of the cults, it's either an angel, in the case of the Jehovah's Witnesses, or an exalted man, in the case of the Latter-day Saints or Mormons. So if we don't know who the true Jesus is and put our faith in the Son of God of the Bible, we can't receive true salvation. Now let's go to uh, the meat of your book, Jehovah's Witnesses' Beliefs. Uh, what are they? What are you writing here, uh, Mark? Absolutely. Well, the Jehovah's Witnesses are Unitarian versus Biblical Christians, which are Trinitarian. And Unitarian means that they believe in only uh, one person as the true God, that only Jehovah, who they call God, uh, is the true God. They call him God the Father or Jehovah. Then they believe in Jesus, and they say they'll believe in him as the Son of God or Messiah. And many people then might say, oh, okay, well, it sounds like another denomination. But the truth is, they believe that Jesus was the first creation of Jehovah God, and that he is Michael the Archangel incarnate. And in order to attain salvation, 
you have to receive a special knowledge of God, which is done through being part of their organization and doing good works. So it's a works righteous system with a Jesus who is far from being the Jesus of Scripture. Uh, what kind of people are they, generally? Well, to be quite honest with you, Pat, we've had uh, some intense conversations with Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, they they really can be hostile sometimes. I've talked to some nice ones, though, that are open and genuine. Um, what, what I would advise your listeners to, and any Christian, to do when engaging with the Jehovah's Witnesses is, of course, to ask questions, to try to control the conversation. But sometimes you'll have an older Jehovah's Witness or more experienced cult member and a younger one that's with him, that's being mentored. So if you can tell that maybe the older one is being closed off to your message, focus in on the one who is a little younger, less experienced, so he can receive the truth, and if he's not closed off to um, what you're talking to him about. So they can be hostile. Of course, we want to approach them with truth and grace, but never compromise on what the Bible says. Mark, tell me about Mormonism in a nutshell. Absolutely, yes. That's our third chapter. And, you know, Mormonism, I think, catches a lot of people by surprise because they truly masquerade as Christians. It's actually quite dangerous. In fact, if, if you ask them, they would say that they believe in the Trinity and that Jesus is God. So it, there seems on the surface to be no problem. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you realize that Mormonism is actually polytheistic. They believe that all of us can become gods one day if we follow the Mormon uh, rituals, and that Jesus himself was actually created uh, through a sexual union by a mother god and father god, and that he attained godhood by his obedience here on earth. And us as humans can one day become gods by our obedience on earth as well. So again, they, they're being a bit deceptive in their wording when they say they believe in the Trinity because it's three different gods instead of three separate persons. And as well, when they say they believe Jesus is God, uh, they don't mean the eternal God, as the Bible states. What happened to Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism? Well, Joseph Smith, of course, received his supposed uh, revelations. Um, And what happened to him was he got into a bit of a a scuffle with a Nauvoo expositor where he was living. He eventually was uh, put in incarcerated, he was put in jail, and in jail he was part of a shootout um, where he was shot and killed. Of course, the Mormons will say that he died as a martyr, but Joseph was an active participator in the shootout. Um, So, unfortunately, the Mormons will say that Joseph was the greatest man who ever lived. Um, But if you look at his life um, regarding his polygamy, his false prophecies, it's obvious that he was not a man of God, and in fact quite dangerous. Where does Brigham Young fit into this discussion? Well, Brigham Young was one of the um, the early Mormon leaders. Um, in fact, he was part of a prophecy by uh, Haber Kimball, who said that Brigham Young would become president of the United States, and Kimball would be vice president, which we document in the book. So we see in Mormon leaders such as Brigham Young, Joseph Smith, uh, Haber Kimball, and others, that they claim to have direction from God, but yet when they make a prophecy, it never comes true, which, of course, according to the Bible, means they are false prophets. And we, I think we should really warn our Mormon friends about this out of love to show them that they're, they're following leaders such as Brigham, such as Joseph, uh, instead of Jesus. He commanded us to, to follow him only and not um, other, other religious leaders. What do you think uh, goes on at Brigham Young University on a daily basis as far as attending classes and so forth? Yeah, that's a great question. I've thought about that myself, about Brigham Young. Um, I'm sure they they do receive uh, theological training in the Mormon, um, of the Mormon Church. Uh, My concern, of course, is that the discussions might not be very in-depth. Often when you talk to a Mormon missionary, it's pretty clear that unless maybe they're a leader, for example, if you talk to a younger missionary, they really haven't thought through these issues for themselves. Um, for example, just bringing up the fact that the Bible says there's only one true God, so polytheism is completely invalid. They re- I don't think they've really thought through these things completely, and my fear is that at universities such as BYU, that the, the professors um, and the, the courses 
really don't go in-depth and compare Scripture with what the Mormon Church is teaching. So it's it's not a very well-rounded discussion. At least that's that's what I would suppose is going on there. Uh, my guest is Mark Stengler, Jr. He's on the campus at Liberty University, 19 years old. Uh, phenomenal. And uh, he's written this book we're talking about called Cult Shock. It's a marvelous read. Uh, just a reminder, and we'll be back for more with Mark. Uh, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, uh, 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word in Orlando, Florida. Stay with us, folks. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950 The Word. Attention credit card holders. The secret that credit card companies don't want you to know is getting out. Thousands of people across the country are now settling their debts for a fraction of what they owe, thanks to National Debt Relief. The secret is that if you're struggling with or simply can't afford your monthly credit card payments, you now have the legal means to resolve your debt with your lenders, substantially reducing what you owe into one low monthly payment. You don't have to worry about bankruptcy or falling deeper into debt. You can now save thousands of dollars, even tens of of thousands and be debt-free faster than you ever thought possible. There are no upfront fees and satisfaction is guaranteed. If you're struggling with at least $10,000 in credit card debt, medical bills, private student loans, or personal loans, call National Debt Relief now for a free quote on how much of your debt can be reduced. Get this free life-changing information now by dialing 800-506-2760. 800-506-2760. That's 800-506-2760. Walking down the street one day, you encounter a man. He is dressed in white patent leather shoes with silver side buckles and dark brown socks. His trousers are burnt orange bell bottoms. Wrapped provocatively around the elastic waistband is a Harvest Gold utility belt with a large Elvis commemorative buckle. His shirt is avocado green with the name Lou embroidered just above one pocket. And suddenly, it hits you. This has to be the guy who designed and decorated your kitchen. You resist the impulse to confront him and instead call Gold Key Cabinetry at 407-232-7144. Gold Key Cabinetry will design, custom build, and install the kitchen of your dreams. No matter how large or small, Gold Key Cabinetry can take your dream from paper to reality. But don't take our word for it. See what their customers have to say about them. Log on at goldkeycabinetry.com. Gold Key Cabinetry has been serving Central Florida for over 34 years. Call today for your free estimate, 407-232-7144. Online at goldkeycabinetry.com. From dream kitchen to reality with Gold Key Cabinetry. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Mark Stengler Jr. is our guest from Lynchburg, Virginia. We're talking about his book, Cult Shock. And, uh, Mark, let's get into this topic. Witnessing techniques for Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Uh, Give us a little bit more there, please. Well, absolutely. That's a... That, I think, is one of the most important parts uh, of our book, Cult Shock, because we're not out there engaging with cult members just to bash someone over the head with Bible and with Scripture and then walk away having them wounded and crying. We're actually here to see people's lives changed by the true gospel and also to see their deception stopped, because it's a very serious issue. First um, John tells us that the Antichrist is actually already here. And when you have someone proclaiming a Christ that was never preached by Jesus, it was never preached by the apostles, then you really have an antichrist. So when you're engaging with the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, what you want to do is, as I said before, control the conversation in a manner where you're asking the question, and you're not just listening to them uh, give their spill on their church, because that's what they've been trained to do, to go through a certain set list of scripture verses and teachings to try to convince you that somehow they're the true church. So some of the things we say, for example, in the book is to ask them who they believe raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, because both of these, these groups believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. But what you want to show them is how uh, all three members, or all three persons, rather, of the Trinity raised Jesus from the dead. The goal, of course, is to show them that the Trinity is biblical, which both of these groups deny, and that Jesus is the Almighty God. So once you make clear that they believe that the Almighty God raised Jesus from the dead, 
what you go on to do is show how the Father raised Jesus from the dead, according to Galatians 1.1. Jesus raised himself from the dead, according to John 2.19-22. through 22. And the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, according to Romans 8.11. So that's just one of the examples of showing them who the true God is, and also you want to go into how to receive salvation from the true God. Why have they built so much of their work around knocking on people's doors at at home? Right. That's a great question. I think that it has to do with this um, mentality of actively proselytizing, um, especially those who will be unaware of the Church. Because when someone comes up, knocks on your door, for example, a Mormon, and says that they're a missionary from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I think many people believe, oh, well, missionary, obviously, whatever they have is harmless, or when a Jehovah's Witness comes with their Awake magazines, uh, talking about God's kingdom, it can seem attractive. So uh, they're catching people by, by surprise when they do knock on these doors. Part of it also has to do with this idea of works righteous salvation. They believe that their proselytizing can somehow merit favor with God. The motivation is obviously wrong. Uh, but the Jehovah's Witnesses also must log their hours, so it is a forced proselytizing, and they have to report uh, how many hours they, they, they did each week or month to the Watchtower. And also, of course, the Mormon missionaries will go on their uh, mission trips. So what we want Christians to do is take these opportunities to actually be missionaries to them. God brought them right to your door. And now you have the opportunity to tell them who Jesus really is. What is the Watchtower? Well, the Watchtower is the Jehovah's Witnesses' governing body. It controls all the distribution of literature, of sermons. Uh, the Watchtower also produces the New World Translation, which is the Jehovah's Witnesses' version of the Bible, which we show in the book how it's been changed and does not match up with the original Greek. So the Watchtower is the the head of the Jehovah's Witnesses organization, and has also falsely prophesied uh, regarding Jesus' return in Armageddon numerous times, which we like to point out to the Jehovah's Witnesses we're engaging with. Um, Let's uh, get to this topic, Mark. When when these uh, youngsters, young Mormons, go out on their mission... Uh, what what happens? What it's a two year deal? I understand. What do they do for two years? Right. Well, they're they're actively proselytizing for those two years, and as far as I know, they really don't have much interaction at all with the the outside world, which I think is why it's so uh, important that we expose them to what the Bible really says, because they've been so indoctrinated um, by what their church has taught them. So they're they're taught these principles or how to go through, um, I believe the, the pamphlet they use is called the Plan of Salvation, um, how to go through that with the person they're, they're talking to at their home, how to explain who Joseph Smith is, and it's, when you encounter them at your home, it's, it's very surface level in a sense, because they'll talk about Jesus being the Messiah, Son of God, and it's kind of vague, and they'll bring in how the gospel got, was lost, and it needs to be restored by their prophets. That's really what the Mormon Church is about. Their prophets are restoring the gospel because it was lost. But, and mind, the missionaries are completely unaware of this, I believe. They've just been taught this by their leaders. What we like to show them is that for 2,000 years, the Bible you and I are reading today uh, is the same as the apostles wrote, because there have been no doctrinal changes at all since the first century. And they're completely unaware of this. So what we show them is, Jesus said that his words will never pass away. Uh, the word of the Lord endures forever. And it, history proves this. And so we need to go back to what the Bible says, not to what man says. Mark, where does the Book of Mormon fit into this whole discussion? Well, the Book of Mormon is one of the holy books uh, the, the Mormons use. They also use uh, the Pearl of Great Price, the Doctrine of Covenant and they use the King James Version Bible. And the Book of Mormon, which we talk about in the book, um, was translated by Joseph Smith, supposedly from a, a language called Reformed Egyptian. And the, the scary thing is that actually there is no known language as Reformed Egyptian. It, it is literally a, a made-up um, language. There, we have no evidence of that ever existing. And it talks about how 
Jesus came back to the uh, Americas and had a ministry here. It supposedly contains the fullness of the gospel, and that along with the other Mormon teachings, uh, especially Doctrine and Covenants, and also whatever new revelation the prophets of the Church receive constitute what the LDS Church teaches. So what does it take to come out of Mormonism? What does it take to renounce uh, being a Jehovah's Witness? Is that is that difficult? I'm, I believe that the, the fact that you are shunned uh, by your family, uh, or at least it's very likely that you will be if they are a part of that Church, um, and that the Church really will look down on you if you leave the Church is very difficult, because what these organizations try to do, Pat, is they try to keep everyone focused in on the organization. It's not about the people, it's all about the organization. It's really not even about God. It's all about this supposed restored Church, and they want everyone to only listen to what their leaders say, not to question them, and they keep them just trapped uh, in these cults. So it does take a lot to come out, but Pat, Jesus told us that we have to be willing to leave all to follow Him. And of course, it's better that our soul is saved uh, than being shamed or shunned by our family and and an organization. And I know that sounds very harsh, but the eternal life that Jesus offers um, is worth far more than any uh, organization or family here. And I think that we can we should be sympathetic, especially to our close friends who are trapped in these cults, uh, and come alongside them, saying, "I can be your your true brother or sister in Christ. I'm your true family uh, because we have that connection in the real Jesus now." Mark, I'm curious, uh, what is it like? sitting through a uh, Mormon service or a Jehovah's Witness service? Do they they have services like we we would recognize? They do have services. Um, They do have—the Jehovah's Witnesses have a um, a sermon or a teaching that's been given by the Watchtower, so it's uh, an organization-sanctioned lesson. Um, I know that the— it, there's definitely a spirit of of discontent. Um, you know that it's not a worship of the true God there, because again, it's so much focused on the organization that the family atmosphere of all these children of God uh, is really missing from these congregations. The other thing that I find intriguing with the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, no Christmas, uh, no, no birthdays. I mean, no celebrations of anything, right? Do, do, do they go out trick or treating, for example? Well, well, they they do consider uh, just like the Trinity. They consider holidays pagan, and there there may be Christians that believe, okay, we don't want to stay. We celebrate Easter. We we want to call it Resurrection Day, and that's tr- that's totally fine. Or they want to keep really keep the Christ in Christmas, and maybe not focus so much on the giving of presents, but I think they do take it a step far, and again, it's their organization's attempt to try to show how uh, orthodox historical Christianity has become corrupted with paganism, when really Easter and and Christmas and the the non-biblical principles associated with them, of course, are not accepted by historic Christianity. So it's really an attempt of the organization to try to cast a bad light on Christians. Mark, I'm always fascinated, uh, particularly with the Mormons, who have some really, really successful business leaders and uh, really sharp people, and I often wonder, uh, how did you come to believe all this stuff? Uh, I mean, how did that happen? Or or did they just grow up that way and they they never have thought about it? Well, Pat, this is is really my theory on how the cults find their success, and especially with the Mormons is that they present a Jesus figure, and to many people that's attractive. They hear of possibly God's love, um, and that they have the opportunity to, to receive salvation and eternal life. So that sounds like a good deal. But then what comes in is this idea that all the other Christian sects or denominations, all the mainstream Christians, they're completely wrong, and only our small sect, our shoot-off of what one man taught, is correct. So in a sense... Um, pride can come in, saying, oh, only the Mormon Church has a right, the Baptists, the Pentecostals, all of them, they're completely apostate, or only the Watchtower has a right, only our small sect, which has been around for 200 years, 
has the truth. And so when you combine this idea of a Jesus figure, um, God, and a salvation kind of plan, but then this pride, this almost Gnosticism, which has come in, um, seems to be attractive to people. But what people need to do is question, why do I believe this? Like you were saying, have they just grown up with this? Has someone just taught me it? What does the Word of God say? And I believe that we need to let the Word of God do the work, that we need to stand on that as our final authority to show them what God says always trumps what man says. No matter what our feelings may be, no matter what someone's told us, we always go with what we know to be true rather than mixed emotions or the opinions of men. Mark, we've all heard of the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? What, 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 what do you think? Well, obviously they're very talented um, in terms of their singing ability um, and can put on a, an excellent show. But for me personally, I would, I would not worship um, with any group that, even if they claim to worship the God of the Bible or Father God, if they deny Jesus Christ as the true God, uh, again, they're, they're Antichrist, according to First John. And so I honestly, and your hearers might think this is harsh, but I will not support uh, that group at all, really, because I don't want to support a group that's worshiping a false god, that's worshiping the god of their imagination. Um, to love them, of course, to show them, hey, guys, although you may feel very great doing this, you're not worshiping in spirit and truth. You're not uh, worshiping the, the Creator God and also to discourage others from being attracted to um, this organization. Mark Stengler, Jr. is our guest. We've got about a minute, Mark. You end your book with Jesus is the Final Revelation. Uh, fill us in on how you end the book. Well, absolutely. So, what, like, I, like I mentioned earlier, uh, God has spoken through His Word, um, through the Holy Scriptures, and also through the Eternal Word, His Son. And what Hebrews chapter 1 makes clear is that prophets who have new revelation and add, no, and add new doctrine are no longer necessary since Jesus has come and the time of the apostles. So the Mormons, of course, believe in modern-day prophets in the sense that they add new doctrine. So what we do in that chapter is show the many false prophecies of these prophets um, to explain to them that they're not of God, they're of the devil. And similarly with the Watchtower, that they've falsely prophesied as well, they're not to be trusted, and we need to turn from these organizations of men to the eternal word, Jesus Christ. Mark Stangler Jr. has been our guest. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Thinking about life insurance? What if you could make one free phone call and learn your best price from nearly a dozen highly rated price competitive companies? Well, that's exactly what happens when you call SelectQuote Life. For example, George is 40. He was getting sky-high quotes from other companies because he takes meds to control his blood pressure. But when I shopped around, I found him a 10-year, $500,000 policy for under $25 a month. I'm SelectQuote agent Dan Savino. And believe me, if SelectQuote isn't shopping for your life insurance, you're probably paying too much. For your free quote, call 800-494-2323. That's 800-494-2323. 800-494-2323. Or go to SelectQuote.com. Since 1985, we shop, you save. Get full details on the example policy at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Your price could vary depending on your health issuing company and other factors. Not available in all states. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. 
What is your history? Hello, this is Alan Treba, owner of American Family Funerals and Cremations and a servant. My wife is a direct descendant of Simon the Fox of Brazier Clan of Lovett in Scotland. I always tell her jokingly that I am King of Spain and Emperor of the World. I feel so privileged to be able to help families remember a loved one in a special way. This gives us the opportunity to get to know part of your history. You know us, we're family. American Family Funerals and Cremations, 407-339-0070. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Uh, Mark Stengler. Here's Pat. Uh, Mark Stengler Jr., our guest in that first half hour from Lynchburg, Virginia, talking about cult shock. Well, we stay in the South. Ryan Houseman is in Memphis, Tennessee. His book is called Tech Savvy Parenting. That's what we're going to talk about. Uh, Brian, welcome. Good to visit with you. Hey, it's so good to visit with you and your listeners, Pat. So what is uh, the big deal about being a tech-savvy parent? Woo, I think we have all got to be tech-savvy parents because technology is one of the biggest issues that's facing the lives of our children and grandchildren. And it's really one of those issues that becomes kind of like a dividing line, you know, a separator between the generations. Because uh, I always joke that when I was a kid back in the 70s, the extent of technology I had in my life was that little uh, uh, Kaneko football game, you know, that moved up and down sideways three spaces. That was it. You know, we didn't even have Atari or anything else. And now our kids, every, they, they've been wired since, since birth, you know. And so we as parents and grandparents have got to be about learning how to use technology uh, the way that our kids do so we can kind of partner with them to have a redeeming life. Uh, you open your book, Controlling the Cell Phone Monster. Uh, what are you telling us there? Well, the average teenager who is a texter, which is kind of an oxymoron, because if you're a teenager, you're probably a texter, uh, they send over 3,000 text messages every month now. Mm. It's the number one way that they communicate with their friends is through texting and uh, you know through their cell phone. Um, over 94% of all high schoolers in the United States and three out of four of all middle schoolers now own their own cell phone. And almost all of them are going to be a smartphone, which is really, it's just a mini computer. You know, it's, it's giving our children that handheld device that's going to give them access to anyone, anywhere, any time of the day. And so we as parents have got to begin to set some healthy boundaries uh, in terms of where they can use them, how they can use them, who they can contact. And uh, less than 12% of parents actually check their kids' cell phones to make sure that their kids are being safe in what they're doing. And I think we would agree that I mean, if 88% of parents you know, weren't uh, modeling for our kids right behavior when it comes to finances or work ethic or how to drive a car or their dating relationships – we would say that we're failing, you know, as parents. But yet that's exactly what's happening when it comes to our kids and their cell phones. Uh, Let's move to the next topic. Got a teen texting addict in your house? Question mark. Yeah, so uh, like I said a second ago, they they send over 3,300 text messages a month. If uh, I'm in the age demographic between 40 and 50, and we send about 300 a month, and uh, for every decade older, it's about 15% less. So I'm not sure where you are, Pat, but, you know, you've got grandkids, great-grandkids, and that, you know, that, that means they're sending thousands every month. And they have created their, whole, their own new language, you know, consisting of pictures and uh, numbers, uh, numerics uh, that represent over 40,000 words in the English language. And it's a language that we don't even understand, you know, as parents. You know, sometimes my daughter will just send me an emoticon, you know, in a picture, as a response to a question that I'm asking her. And I'm like, I don't even know what to, to make of this, you know, the way, the way that you're responding to me. And so they've got this whole new language. And so part of what we've done with our kids is we've just set some boundaries in their life, like such as no using the cell phone in your bedroom, particularly if your kid has a smartphone. And I think if, you're, if your kid has got a smartphone and they've got it in their bedroom with them at night, that you're just, one, you're setting them up to sabotage the next day. Uh, the American Pediatric Society recommends that children need nine hours of sleep a day for good emotional uh, and mental health. But a kid who has their cell phone in their bedroom, they get on average about six and a half. Mm. So then our kids wake up the next day, they're grumpy, they're irritable, they're unfocused, they're disrespectful, they're falling asleep in class. And then we say, oh, they've got ADHD. And I think a lot of times we just misread the signs, you know, that 
yes, they could have a learning disability, but many times I think it's that we've sabotaged them by letting them have these devices in their bedroom. So we've got to have some, you know, like for us, our kids, when they were younger, they had to leave all their cell phones and gaming devices on the kitchen counter at night. So it just created a central location, and it said that your bedroom is for sleeping, not for playing video games and not for being on the phone. That's great. <clears throat> How about setting iPhone and iPod parental controls? Yeah, so like I said uh, uh, in our your first question, that about 12% of parents actually check their kids' phones. There was a survey done uh, about two years ago, and they interviewed 500 parents who bought smartphones for their teenagers. And they asked them, have you set up any kind of parental controls or uh, safety software on your child's smartphone? Like basically... Uh, software that I recommend in the Tech Savvy Parenting book uh, that walks you through in picture form how to set the parental controls on your iDevices, you know, your iPads, your iPhones, your Apple TV, those kind of things. And uh, about 80% of parents said, yes, I have. I have set up some safety software on my kid's phone. Then they interviewed the teenager and said, is there any kind of safety software on your smartphone? And about 12% of teenagers said yes. So that means either the majority of teenagers are oblivious to what we've set up on their phones, or as parents, we tend to overestimate just how involved we are. Because we, we thought about buying the software, we thought about setting the parental controls, but we never got around to it. And as long as we don't have the parental controls set on these devices, then our children, your kids, your grandkids are going to have access to anyone, anywhere, any time of the day. Um, I, I tell teenagers when I go to schools, I'll be speaking at a church tonight in Little Rock. I'll be at a school tomorrow in Nashville. And I, I tell teenagers that you have two reputations. You have a real-world reputation, like people that know you in the real world, and you have an online reputation. And unfortunately, in the society we live in today, your, real, your uh, online reputation many times is the first connection that people have to you. So when you start applying to a college, that now almost 80% of all college admission counselors say that they're checking social media. So that you know, your kid has worked hard to get the right grade, to, to take the right courses, to do the community volunteer service, and now all of a sudden their potential of getting a scholarship could be on the line because of what they've posted on social media. Uh, so I'm always telling kids that you've got to guard your digital reputation because you've only got one. Uh, talk to us about video game violence and moral behavior. So there's been uh, roughly 98 different studies concerning video games and violence and how it affects our kids. And of that, 96 of them concluded that long-term exposure to excessive violence in video games does have a temporary effect on moral decision-making. Like, so what that means is that your kid is, doesn't, it doesn't mean your kid's going to become an, a, a, you know, a serial killer, an axe murderer if they play video games. But what it does mean is that it's going to cause temporary agitation and confusion about moral boundaries. Uh, so, because what's happening is when you're playing video games, it's creating dopamine in your brain. And dopamine is the same chemical that's created when you're gambling, when you're having sex, when you're drinking alcohol and when you're smoking tobacco. They're all highly addictive behaviors, yes? And so, uh, because dopamine is, uh, is like the pleasure drug, and so it's a natural occurring chemical in your brain, and the same thing happens when you're playing video games, which is why you know, the average boy uh, who plays video games, which it is the number one activity that middle school and high school boys in America do, is play video games. Uh, about 84% of them say they play video games at least once every other week, and they usually play it for two hours at a time. So if you're sitting doing something for two hours, and it is constantly shooting other people on the screen, or people cursing at you on the screen, it's going to have an effect on your agitation level, on your ability to stay calm. And so... You know, again, one of the things I recommend to parents to do is have a location in your home that's okay to play video games, and you, you predetermine what games are okay in your home. So there's a, a free app that parents can use called ESRB, ESRB, that you can download for your Android and Apple phones, and then what you do is you scan the back of the video game, and it'll tell you why it has the ratings that it does. Matter of fact, there's also a chapter, we'll just cover this right now so we can skip it, there's a whole other chapter in the book concerning video game ratings. 
and it helps parents and grandparents understand why the games that you're buying for your kids are rated what they are because they have to have a rating and not every video game is the same and so we need to understand why these games are rated what they are so if it's rated m for mature for instance, there's a game called Grand Theft Auto. It is the most violent, most sexist game that's mm. been ever created. Mm. And it's the number one selling video game of all time. Wow. Well, Mark, uh, Brian, let's move to social networking etiquette for parents. What's that about? Whoa, so that is, that is concerning the fact that parents... So I really recommend that if, if your child, your teenager, your tween is going to be on social media then you should be on that same social media because uh, my, I really believe that my job as a parent is not just to, you know, to bark out orders and to give out rules, but that my job as a parent in part is to create a right relationship with my child, which means that we do life together. You know, though we don't just vacation and meet each other in the summer for a week, but we spend all of life together. So I want to be part of your dating life. So I want to meet the people that you're going to be in a relationship with. I'm going to be a part of your school life. I'm going to go and volunteer at your school sometime. And if you're going to be on social media, then I'm going to be on social media too. And so, but unfortunately what happens is some parents and grandparents get on social media and they end up having poor etiquette themselves on social media. Uh, and some of it can be embarrassing things like such as posting, you know, potentially embarrassing pictures of your kids and grandkids. Uh, you know, like, so for instance, always tell parents, you know, don't put a picture of your kid, you know, your 18 year old, uh, a throwback picture from when they were three naked in the bathtub, because they're not going to like seeing that, you know, on you're letting your friends see that on your Facebook. And so one of the things I recommend to parents is that any picture that you're going to post of your kid, your teenager online, you show them the picture first and get their permission. But that's just proper etiquette. That's what we would do. You know, I, Pat, I wouldn't take a picture of you and I having lunch together and post it online without asking you first, because maybe you don't want your picture posted online. You know, And so the same thing that I would want anyone to do for me, I want to have that same kind of relationship with my kids. And then what it's doing is it's modeling for them proper etiquette online. So when they start taking all these selfies with them and their friends out in public, they can go, oh, no, wait a minute, my mom. She asked me permission before doing this. When our kids were younger, we're talking like single digits, and we would have birthday parties here at the house. And this is when Facebook was first coming out, and people were kind of nervous about what is this whole thing. And if there was a group of kids coming to our house, we would say to the parents, hey, we're going to take a group picture at the end, and I was going to put it on my Facebook. Is, it, is that okay with you? And I would ask every parent permission. So if a parent didn't want their kid in the picture, they could, you know, we could leave them out. And what happened was every parent would respond by raising their eyebrows and just going, oh, well, yeah, that's, that's fine. But you could tell that their wheels were spinning as they're thinking, well, I've never done that. I've never asked permission from someone. The other thing that I mean in terms of etiquette is modeling right responses to different social uh, situations. And so often I see parents who will go online and, uh, and either lambast other authority figures you know, either just be heinous about, you know, uh, when it comes to politics or when it comes to the government or school officials and, and just, you know, dog out their kid's teacher online or just say awful things about, you know, uh, a political official online, forgetting that their children are connected to them on social media. And so your kid can read everything that you see, and now you're modeling improper behavior for your kid about how to resolve conflict and how to respond to authority figures. And so that doesn't mean that we can't disagree. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't stand up for truth. It just means that we've got to have good etiquette as parents when it comes to our kids online. Ryan Hausman is our guest. Tech Savvy Parenting, the name of his book. By the way, Brian, how young is too young for Facebook? Oh, well, man, that's a loaded question. Have we got time in this segment, or should we hold off to the next? Well, go ahead. Uh, give me a minute, and then we'll take a break. Get it, get it started, at least. Yeah. So there is a federal law called the COPA Act, the C-O-P-P-A. It stands for the Child Online Protection and Privacy Act, and it requires that media companies such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, they are not allowed to ask for personal information from anyone under the age of 13 which is why in every one of these apps and social media sites, in the user agreement that you have to check yes at the bottom, it, every one of them says 
do you promise that you're at least 13 years old? Because these companies are breaking the law if they let anyone under 13 on there. And so it is the number one question that parents ask me is, when shall I let my kid have a cell phone? And when shall I let my kid on social media? And so for my children, we just decided to make social media the first rite of passage. In the- my guest, and we're going to be right back with him, folks, Brian Hausman, Tech Savvy Parenting. Uh, this is Pat Williams. It's the Saturday Power Hour. FM, AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This America on the Rebound Minute is brought to you by Timothy Plan Partners Limited, distributors of Timothy Plan, investing with biblical principles. Nothing bad happens when a company decides to take some of their profits and bonus hardworking employees. That's exactly what happened at the end of the year when major companies like AT&T and Bank of America gave $1,000 bonuses as a result of the congressional tax cuts. That movement grew, and soon more companies were doing the same. As of today, over 100 companies have given something back in the form of a bonus to their employees who have worked so hard for them all these years. It's truly the gift that keeps on giving because many of those employees will take their bonus and do landscaping or home improvements or buy a new car or take a vacation, something special they've been wanting to do. So that means those dollars keep multiplying and that money gets pumped back into the economy, which keeps this thing growing all the time. This America on the Rebound Minute has been brought to you by Timothy Plan Partners Limited, distributors of Timothy Plan, investing with biblical principles. The following statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Remember that sinking feeling when you first noticed your hair was thinning? You probably thought, this can't be happening to me. Factors like stress, aging, or hormones can cause hair thinning. Fix your thinning hair with Viviscal, the number one selling healthy hair supplement in the U.S. 100% drug-free Viviscal has proven clinical results. And especially formulated with a proprietary marine-based complex and other nutrients that work in harmony to reduce reduce hair shedding, and increase volume and thickness. And two little tablets daily are all you need. Discover the secret A-list celebrities, hairstylists, and millions of women have fallen in love with. Right now, try Viviscal risk-free for 90 days and get free shipping. And be sure to ask about our exclusive men's formula. For your 90-day risk-free trial and free shipping, call 800-301-1493. 800-301-1493. That's 800-301-1493. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Brian Hausman is with us from Memphis. Uh, Brian, pick up right where we were before the break, please. Yes, I was saying that we should make social media a rite of passage in our kids' lives. Just like when you and I were, were teenagers, the first big rite of passage in our life was getting our driver's license. And, you know, we can remember sitting in our parents' car in the driveway, sometimes by ourselves, with our hands gripping the steering wheel. The car's not even started, and you're 14 years old, and you would say things like, I can't wait, because one of these days, I'm out of here. I'm going to go where I want to go and do what I want to do. I'm going to hang out with who I want to hang out with. You know, because for us, that was like a sign of freedom. You know, a first step of becoming an adult was having a license. And for our kids, it's the same thing when it comes to social media. And so for us... We told our children, the law says 13, let's work the process. So until you're 13, it's off limits completely. Once you turn 13, then we can talk about you having the privilege to be on social media. Because there's no uh, amendment to the U.S. Constitution that says every 13-year-old must be on social media. Mm-hmm. And so instead, social media, it's a huge responsibility. I mean, because now your kid's going to be exposed to so many people a lot more freedom they've ever had in their life to express themselves. And so what we did is on their birthday, my son and daughter, on their 13th birthday, they came to us and said, can I set up my Facebook now? And I said to them, first, I handed my son my laptop, and I opened the, It's called the Family Safety Center, and it's on Facebook. And so what you can do is I open it to the Family Safety Center, and it's basically Mark Zuckerberg's you know, folks explaining things like, if someone asks you for a picture of yourself, what do you do? Or if someone is harassing you or, you know, being demeaning to you, how do you respond? Or if you see someone being violated, this is what you do. And it's basically just outlining proper etiquette and safety, you know, for 13, 14-year-olds getting on social media. 
And I said, you have to read all this. And he came back about 15 minutes later and said, okay, Dad, I'm done. And then I pulled out a sheet of paper, and it was a 10-question quiz that I had written based on what he'd watched online. And I said, you have to answer all these questions correctly. And he goes, are you serious? And I said, yes. I said, I would never give you the keys to the car without taking a test. You have to take a driving test, a written test. You have to ride around with mom and dad for six months test. You know, like there's all these hoops to jump through in order to get the keys to the car just to go to Walgreens down the street. But yet we're going to give our kids the keys to the information highway without any accountability whatsoever, with no conversation about expectations. So my son took the test. He read all the information. And then I pulled up two chairs at the kitchen table, and we looked at each other face-to-face, and I said, so Mark Zuckerberg has told you his expectations. Now, as your father, let me tell you mine. And I just walked through with him what I expected of him as a young man, you know, of what, that from this day forward, at the age of 13, every conversation I'm having with you is me trying to prepare you to be a man on your own. And so part of this, this first step, is me having this conversation about my expectations as your father of how you're going to use social media in your life. And so we set up his page, and his first friend was me. So it sets the precedent that we are always connected. We've been connected offline. Now we're going to be connected online. We always do life together. And so, um, you know, my kids know that I actually check their social media. Just two days ago, I went to my daughter, and she was getting in bed. And I said, hey, I need to see your phone before you go to bed. And she, her first response was, Dad, there's nothing bad on there. And I said, sweetie, I never expect to see anything bad. I said, this has nothing to do with you being bad or good. It just has to do with accountability and that we all have accountability in our life. I'm accountable to people. I'm accountable to your mother. And so you're going to be accountable to me. Hmm. Tell me about the dangerous roulette of video chatting. Yeah, so there's many different, um, different apps out there and websites that kids are using now to video chat with people. Now, maybe you are a grandfather or grandparent that you've video chatted with your grandkids who live in another city, and you guys get on Skype or on Facebook Live, and you can have a conversation with each other on video. That's not what we're talking about here. What I mean by video chatting is there's new apps and websites where basically what you do is you, when you open the app or you go to the site like Chat Roulette, then what it does is it randomly selects a total stranger for you to have a video conversation with. Now, immediately, that should make your jaw drop, Pat. Mm. The thing that our kids and grandkids are using apps where they can chat with total strangers and uh, the FBI actually did research about these anonymous chat apps and sites and concluded that almost two-thirds of all the content is of a sexual nature mm. because you have no idea what's going to pop up when you open the app because it literally is like a roulette wheel where you hit go and the app just randomly picks a total stranger that's going to pop up on a screen. And for my kids, you know, we've communicated that life is meant to be lived out in the open, that we're supposed to have integrity relationships with one another, that we have accountability with one another. And so the, 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 the idea of having a conversation with a complete stranger is completely out of boundaries of what a proper relationship is. So I, I, I would say for parents, grandparents out there, there's a whole chapter in the book on understanding video chatting and these, the new apps and sites. I, I kind of go through them in the chapter uh, to help you understand them. And I would say if you see these on your kids' phones, that it's time to have a conversation. Brian, I want you to talk to us about cyberbullying. It's all the rage. And then, and then transition into the allure of Internet pornography. Wow, we could do a whole show, could we, Pat, just on digital yeah. pornography um, and the effects of it. Uh, matter of fact, that's what I'm talking about tomorrow at the school with a group of about 300 uh, high school boys is how do you have digital purity in your life? So um, cyberbullying is, I would say, one of the two biggest issues that we are not talking about with our kids as parents. And the number one is digital pornography. But uh, there was a survey done, and they asked parents about the effects of digital of cyberbullying on their kids. And 8% of parents said that they were concerned that it might happen to their kid. But almost half of all teenagers say that they have been bullied online or on social media. So this is a huge difference between the world that our kids are living in 
and the fantasy world that we're still living in as parents. Because we still think of our kids as playing with Legos and Lincoln Logs and Barbie dolls. But by the time they're 12 and 13, they are making real-world decisions and contacting with people online where they're being bullied. Last year in the United States, there were over 20 teenagers that ended up taking their lives because people were going on social media and berating them and demeaning them because of their, their body type their skin color, their religious beliefs, their orientation, and saying that I think that you're a lesser person than me, and I'm going to tell everybody on Instagram why I think so. And there are 49 out of 50 states now have laws that regulate cyberbullying so that you can actually, if your child bullies someone, because unfortunately what happens is if your child is bullied, it is three times more likely that they will become a cyberbully themselves. Because what happens is, you know, if I'm picking on you, Pat, and I'm you know, constantly dogging you out of, I think you're this, or I think that you're that. Well, part of the way that you can feel better about yourself is to go find someone a little bit weaker to pick on. And that's what happens during those developmental years with our kids, is they don't know how to respond when they're being picked on online. And so they end up finding someone else to bully themselves. And it becomes like this, this stone gathering moss, you know, like just it, it, it can't stop. And so I tell kids when I go to schools that no, no law is ever going to stop cyberbullying. No student handbook at school is going to stop cyberbullying. No parent conversation is going to stop it. The only thing that's going to stop it is when you guys as teenagers decide this is not the world that we want anymore. We're going to choose to live in honoring relationships with one another. Pretty powerful, huh? It is. And you mentioned uh, digital pornography. Uh, I believe that is the biggest issue that we are not talking about with our kids. The typical child's first exposure to digital pornography is now between the ages of 9 and 11. Mm. So we got kids, single digits, who that is the average age that they're seeing digital pornography for the first time. And most parents will start or have a conversation with their kid about the age of 15. Well, I think you would agree that it's game over by 15. If there's, you know, you start, you start teaching a young basketball player how to shoot free throws when they're young. Because if they don't have it down by the time they're in high school, it's almost game over. Yep. It's, you know, it, it's set in stone. And so we've got to begin to have these conversations, uncomfortable conversations sometimes, younger than we think with our kids. My, uh, both of my children, uh, we have Internet blockers. We had time of day blockers. Our computer was in the living room. And yet both of my kids saw digital pornography by the age of 11. And is, this is my job. Brian Hausman has been our guest Tech Savvy Parenting, the name of the book. We've got to wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. 94.9 FM, AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Stay with us. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your hosts, Dr. Daniel Forbes and Kevin Picorni. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design right here, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Well, thank you so much for joining us, folks, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Mark Stengler Jr. was our first guest, 19 years old, Liberty University student, talking about his book, Cult Shock. Very, very interesting to talk to him. And then Brian Hausman joined us from Memphis. Uh, The discussion was tech savvy parenting please visit my website it's patwilliams.com the twitter page orlando magic pat and uh check out my book it's out it's called the success intersection when your uh, greatest talent intersects with your strongest passion uh, you have found your sweet spot in life that's where you want to live that's where you want to make your living get paid every two weeks right there in the sweet spot Well, we'll be back next week for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. And uh, have a terrific week ahead, everybody. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.